up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is such an appropriate message, and I think that all messages that God has sent us has been very appropriate. So far, as God has walked us through the book of 2 Corinthians, we've seen so many things happening and, and unfold. And it looks like we're going to be able to get done with 2 Corinthians by the end of the year and start in Galatians, uh, uh, start January. We have, of course, some messages on the birth of Christ and what that means for us and how he invaded this planet. We're going to talk about how Isaiah had prophesied about the things that would take place in the future and how those things are to, uh, how, how a son is going to be born, and his, the kingdom will be established on his shoulders. But for today, we want to finish up, and we want to start off actually verse chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And chapter 12 is, seems to be uh, a little bit out of context, or it seems like, because it, all of a sudden we're talking about the church, we're talking about you know, how, how Paul is defending himself, and just the things that he's, he's talked about, the suffering that he's gone through. And some of you probably could relate to some of the things that he's gone through. Maybe not everything. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been left for dead, but I know some people that have been. I don't know if any of you have been beaten up and, and stoned, and, and I'm not meeting with drugs, but with actual rocks. I don't know if any of you have been crucified or whipped in so many different ways. And I know that... Uh, I, I, I know that some of you have, have actually have gone through some st struggles and turmoils. And so Paul comes to this point here where it seems like it's out of character. All of a sudden, these next few verses, it just, how does this fit in there? But, but what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to share a personal experience. He's already shared the struggles and the pains and the challenges that he's gone through in life. And he's already shared all the things that are going on in, in his own personal ministry. He's already shared with us on those things that have hindered him or tried to hinder him. But Paul keeps pushing forward and pushing forward. Now, we got to remember that at this point in time, this is some years later, first book that is written in the New Testament, possibly before the Gospels. And so Paul has, is way advanced uh, past the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We'll say 14, 15 years, maybe. And, and here Paul does this. He does something that's very unique. And it should be an example for most of us. Here Paul he describes an experience that he had okay. with the Lord. Okay. Uh, some people ca call it an out-of-body experience. Some people want to claim it as something that takes place all the time. But let's, let's go through this from verses 1 through 10. Go back and we'll talk about this and see how we can apply this to our lives. In verse 1, it starts out like this. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Therefore, or though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or, or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, but it should leave me. But he said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, help us to live and understand how to lead in our weaknesses, how to not look to all our strengths, but to focus on what you can do through the weak, the broken, these vessels of clay. I pray, God, that you lead us in that direction. This world is always focused upon those that are the strongest, the wisest, the smartest. But Lord, we, we are so blessed to know that you counted upon, upon us to use the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. And Lord, that helps us to understand that it is not about me, it's not about us and what we know, what we do. It is about you and your power Amen. in our weaknesses. Amen. So help us to learn from this man, this super apostle, to be able to apply this to our life, we pray in Jesus' name. And when everybody says, amen. amen and amen. Paul goes on boasting. He was boasting already, and he says, you know, I'm not really trying to boast as much as I'm really trying to boast. But, but you know, you, you got me up against the wall, these people in Corinth, these deceivers, these false prophets, these pseudo-prophets is what he called them. You know, they're, they're claiming all these credentials, and, you know, I gave you my credentials. My credentials are on my body. They're, they're the, 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 the wounds and the scars and all these things that I've, I've gone through and this, the hardships and the shipwrecks and all these things. Those are my credentials. And no, I don't charge you for my services because I want the gospel to get out there free. And these people are saying that because he's not charging you guys, then therefore I can't be valid. Because a valid preacher, a valid teacher, a valid itinerant pastor would require at least the minimum of a love offering or something to be given to that pastor in order for him to continue to move the, the ministry. And if depending on how much you pay him or how much you give him, then Paul is saying that he must be, according to their words, better. And Paul says, but since I ain't charging you guys, they're saying, you see, he doesn't even love you guys. He, he doesn't want to get acquainted. He doesn't want to get connected with you in such a way that you have paid him to stay there. And because he doesn't love you guys, that's why he won't take that offering. And Paul is saying, you know, that's not true. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things that I can boast about. And it's interesting because the first thing that he goes back after he says that in verse 12, he says, you know, I got to tell you guys, I got to tell you guys about a guy, a man. And he doesn't even use his own name. And his humility and his humbleness, and he recognized, you know, I've got to, let, I've got to share this story with you. And one of the things that I'd like, for, first of all, for you to, to underline and look at is that this happened to Paul 14 years prior. 14 years prior. Now, as opposed to a lot of the, I don't know, near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences that some people have today, the very first thing they do is when they come back, they write a book. Or they share it with everybody or they uh, make a movie or they you know they, there's there's these unabody experiences that people tend to have that they go to heaven and God tells them a, a message he comes back and he says go well, God told me to tell everyone to love each other well we kind of already know that we know that's what the Bible says you know and, and but but somehow we give credence to these people that say they've died and come back died and come back there was one gentleman that came up to me one time and says, you know, I've died and come back at least four or five different times. I go, really? I go, what happened? He goes, well, you know, first time he's sharing with us a story. He, he saw that I was a pastor, and so we're, we're talking about that. And then, and then he says to me, well, well, what do you think about that? 
what do you think about the fact that I died and came back? Well, the first question I asked is, well, why did God send you back? <laughs> you know, I mean, why would you want to come back? If you're in the presence of God, and he says, well, because God wanted me to share my story. And what story is that? That you can die and come back. Okay, well, you know, the second thing I need to say is the Bible tells us that man is destined to die once and then be judged. The next words out of his mouth shared, showed everything of what it was that he was coming, where he was coming from. He says to me, well, you know how the Bible contradicts itself all the time. I go, okay, well, you're not, you're not focusing on God's word. Beloved, we have so many revelations out there. People are getting from all sorts of different places and all kinds of, and we've gone through this in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking about the people that are hearing these words and that words, utterances and so on and so forth. And, and the one thing that, that we have to keep focused on is number one, you see, if it agrees with God's word, then we don't need it. But if it doesn't agree with God's word, then I don't want it. And, and there, there are so many other words and, and voices that come in and say, but, but I had this dream. I had this vision. I had, like Paul. Well, Paul had this revelation that came to him, went up to the third heaven. You know, the first heaven is what we see, the, the clouds, the birds, and everything else. The second heaven is the, uh, the, the interstellar stuff, the stars, the moon, the, and everything else. But the third heaven is like where God resides. And that's where Paul ended up at. And he came back and he says, you know, I can't even utter to you the things that have happened. I'm not even going to write about them. But the only reason I'm doing this 14 years later is to share with you that God is, is something that beyond my comprehension. And I'm not even going to tell you it was me. I'm going to say that it's just, he's talking in third person. Yeah. Beloved, there are a lot of words out there. There really is. It's got to come from God's word. If it, if it lines up with God's word, okay, you know, well, that's, I'm glad you said that. I really, if it's already here, I don't need it. But if it goes contrary to God's word. And, and the interesting thing, beloved, is that what, what we know is that almost every word that people come out from, the further, the more that you hear them, the further away from God's word they get. And, and, and it seems to line up, and it sounds good. This is why your doctrine needs to be sound. Your theology has got to be sound. Your, your knowledge of God's word has got to be in-depth and know God's word because it's only the word of God that's going to help you through these times that we're going through right now, either personally or as a society or as a culture. It's God's word that's going to keep you focused. Very briefly, I know everybody's looking for an encounter, looking for a presence of Jesus Christ or an, an infilling or an indwelling or a new vision or a new wineskin or, or something different, something more, as if God's word is not enough. Right the day that Jesus Christ resurrected, these two guys in the book of Luke are going back home to Emmaus. The sun's going down. And on the road, you know, they're kind of like downcast. They meet a stranger, and the stranger says, them, so what's going on, guys? He says, oh, we're just discussing about the things that happened today in Jerusalem. He says, well, what happened? He says, what? You're the only one that doesn't know what happened today? They took our Christ, and they murdered him, our priests, our leaders. They killed him. The very next thing that Jesus says, he says, ah, you know, what is wrong with you guys? I mean, don't you know the writings, the prophets? Don't you know about what Moses said? about the Christ that is to come and beginning from Moses, this stranger starts to unfold. He has a Bible study with them. He goes directly to the word. Now, the reason I bring this up is because here's two guys downtrodden. And as a matter of fact, they even tell this stranger, you know, and it's been reported that some women had seen him and that he resurrected. And, you know, they're kind of like, you know, I don't know, you know, did they actually see him or are they hallucinating what happened? But it's, that's the story. Man. And, and, and these two guys down, downtrodden, I mean, just 
hurt and beat up and they're, all their dreams vanished with their savior, their teacher. You would think that Jesus would show himself right there and then so that they could believe. But the very first thing that Jesus does is he takes us to the word of God. This is what the word of God says. And as they're traveling along, the Bible says that their hearts are burning inside and the stranger continues to move on. And, and, and they say, well, you know, it's getting dark. Come, come have dinner with us. We, we need to continue this conversation. You know, and, and, and this is so good. And this is all right. So they bring the food. Jesus gets the bread. He blesses it and breaks it. Then their eyes were opened. Whoa, that's, uh, and he's gone. As soon as they recognized him. As soon as they recognized that Jesus had been with them all this time, it was because of the word. I'm here to tell you, beloved, and I want to implore you to believe this, that God is more interested in you knowing his word than the actual experience that most people are seeking. Because experiences will come. You'll get experiences. You'll have all kinds of experiences. But if it does not line up with God's word, I'll tell you, you don't want it. You know, it's interesting because the very next thing that happens after that, and I'm just taking a little side note here, the very next thing that happens after that is that these disciples, they were like just, they take off. And they run to Jerusalem, and they barge into the room where the men are at, and, and they're out of breath, and they go, man, you wouldn't believe what just happened. We saw Jesus Christ. And within that time, Jesus Christ appears to them. Yes. And he says, man, you guys run fast. How'd you guys get here before me? No, he didn't say that. He did not say that. That didn't happen, really, it didn't. That's out of the newly perverted version of the Bible. It's... What Jesus said is, is you, you know, as a matter of fact, he, he started, the point I'm trying to make is this, is that Jesus waited, Jesus waited for the yeah. testimony yeah. to come out. Yeah. We've experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. See, Jesus will show up when you talk about him, when you share him. You know, and, and we want an experience when we come to church, we pray, we cry, we do whatever, we, we go to conferences, we do these things, and we want the Holy Spirit to fall upon us like gold dust and all kinds of other things. And, and, and all God wants you to do is to get into his word. Amen. And you share what Jesus Christ told you to do. Yeah. He'll show up. Yeah. He'll show up every single time because the word became flesh here is the word this is jesus christ here is where we get our revelation when we say sola scriptura we we definitely mean that J just the word of god just the word yeah. Yeah. just the word nothing else but just the word it, you know that's kind of hard to read it that way like you know i'm not here to try to explain it to you as to why it says that or how it says that a good friend of mine said to me one day, he sent me that verse. It says here that in Deuteronomy that, that you know, men shouldn't wear women's clothing and women shouldn't be wearing men's clothing. I says, and he says, well, what do you think about that? I go, well, it says what it says. <laughs> but, but that was for back then. I go, why would God want to even initiate a law like that back then if he didn't think it was going to be mattering to us right now? Well, I don't agree with it. I was, that's okay. You don't have to. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, long hair and all these. Beloved, I don't know. You know, all I know is that God's word is true, and I've got to accept it for what it is. Amen. And yes, sometimes it's a little difficult when it talks to you to, to cast out that immoral brother. But you know, that brother is really my brother. <laughs> you know, it's my child. It's, you know, but they're living in sin. You know, I, I can't do that. Amen. There's steps that Jesus Christ had left for us. And so when we get a word, Paul is, is sharing this revelation that he had 14 years prior. Didn't write a book, didn't make a movie, didn't, didn't even tell anybody until at this point, as far as we know. 
according to Scripture. No other writing has this instance where Paul is talking about this. But, you know, what happens is that we, we want God to show up when, during this COVID. We want God to show up during cancer. We want God to show up when there's an accident. We want God to show up when there's natural disasters, when crime happens. We want God to show up, and we, we're calling and cry, crying out, says, God, why do bad things happen to good people? Why? The real question, well, first of all, the Bible teaches that bad things happen to all people. Not just the good people, not just the bad people. Second of all, uh, the Bible also says, well, there's no one good. There's no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one that it does good, not even one. And for all of us and for all those who, who know God and understand God's word, the Christian man is not a good man. As a matter of fact, he is a vile wretch who has been saved by the grace of God. That's who we are, beloved. And, and Jesus Christ himself said the only good person is God. And so to say that why do bad things happen to good people, I remember preaching a message a while back. We were on this verse. And I said, you know, it's actually why do good things happen to us bad people? That's, that should be the question. Why does God bless us so much when we're such vile, wretched, wicked individuals? Our hearts, if we're not kept in check, will just take off on their own. And, and we have to submit our heart every single moment to God. Because, beloved, I'll, I'll tell you that if my heart is left unchecked, it will go astray. Amen. And I've got to be connected to God's word. I've got to be connected to what he says. But the reality is suffering is universal. Suffering is universal. As a matter of fact, in Job chapter 5, they said, but man is, is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It happens. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. He didn't say maybe. You know what? Don't worry about it because now you got the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you will have tribulations. It's a promise. You're going to get it, beloved. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. That's just the sinful world we live in. However, Jesus left us a promise. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this world, whatever it tries to do on you, it got nothing on you. As a matter of fact, in Acts 14, 22, Paul, uh, they're saying, strengthening the brothers of the disciple, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy verse 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, guess what? Will be persecuted. It just happens. And it happened to these men. Now, when we're talking about persecutions, tribulations, things that happen in the Bible, we're not talking about, you know, you got to close the church down. That's the, we're not talking about that. These men and women were torn apart from their families, possessions taken, thrown into prisons, fed to lions, used as human tor torches. They were sought into destitute, as Hebrews 12 uh, says, Hebrews 11 says, and they were living in the wilderness, and they were, the world was not worthy of him, is what the writer of the Hebrews says. And, and it happens to not only the, the disciples, to the martyrs, but it happens to, to a lot of people in history, and you can go back into history and see the martyrs that have been crucified. As a matter of fact, the word martyr comes from the word marturo, martureo. Martureo is the word for wit I bear witness. The word martureo says, I, I bear witness. That's to witness. And that word became synonymous with our common term today of martyrdom. Because as they bore witness, they knew they were going to be killed. And it's amazing. It's difficult to get just a, a person to bear witness. Uh, I don't know if I can. 
You know, it's just, you know, just bear witness about what Jesus did in your life. You know, I'm just afraid that I'm going to offend somebody. That you, you, Beloved, you, you don't realize on the persecution that actually happened. Problems will come. And God allows these things to happen. He does. He's not the initiator of evil. He's not the initiator of, 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 of anything. But he does use it. I heard just recently that God doesn't use evil to accomplish his purposes. My first thought is, well, what about the crucifixion? It's about as evil and wretched as you can get in the hands of wicked men. And it pleased God to crush him. It pleased him to have him go through that excruciating, painful, vile murder. It pleased God. Job, we just talked about, same thing. God says, go ahead. Just don't touch his life. Nothing. Everything was taken away from him. His health boils. You know the story. Peter was told, <laughs> Satan wants to sift you, but I pray that you, you're going to pull out, the, you're going you're to come out on the other end. And, what, and, and Satan sifted him. And, and that's exactly what happened. God is not the initiator of evil, but evil is on this planet, and God uses it for his good. We have to understand that, that sometimes things happen to us at, at no fault of our own, and, and problems happen. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, many of you are familiar with this passage, but it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Very quickly, let me just give you four things from a previous message that we, we talked on back in the book of Luke. Trials, number one, draw us closer to God. Trials draw us closer to God. And, and things happen in life, and sometimes there's simply trials. And, and trials are those things that God allows to happen in your life. God causes those things to test your faith. You have been grieved by various trials, Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And God wants to test your faith. He says, really, let me see. And he allows these trials, and they're designed to draw us closer to God. And I know many beloved brethren that are suffering, and the first place they go is to the foot of the cross. And draws them closer, like we're going to see here in Paul's case. And Paul is told, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need, my grace. All you need is my grace. And people find grace at the cross, saving grace, sustaining grace, future glorification grace, grace that will continue on throughout all eternity. This grace is a multifaceted diamond, and it gives you grace upon grace upon grace to draw us closer to God. The second thing that happens in trials and tribulations and persecutions come through temptations. Temptations pull us away from God. They pull us away from God. Paul tells the people in Thessalonica, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Some people come to church, Paul is preaching to them, Paul is sharing with them, and he says, you know, I just, the tempter is out there. That's what he wants to do. He wants to draw you away. He wants to pull you away. Yeah. And it's interesting because many people blame Satan for their problems. The third way that troubles and trials and struggles and suffering come is through transgressions caused by others. In other words, sins by other people. 
transgressions caused by the people. And in Genesis 50, if you remember Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery, became Pharaoh's right-hand man. The brothers show up, and he says, you know, you know, I mean, this is why all this happened. It happened. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph says, you know, please, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you, is what the brothers are saying to Joseph. And that's when Joseph says, you know, you meant it for evil, but guess what? God meant it for good. Look Man. at what all this Man. struggle has gone through. And Joseph was faithful through the end, through the false accusations of adultery or rape, through all the things that he had gone through. He was faithful to the end. Man. Sometimes struggles happen because of what other people do. A third cause is just troubles that I cause my own self. Troubles caused by me. Isaiah 53 says, all like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, let me ask you, out of those four that you have there in your outline, okay, trials, temptations, trespasses, or troubles, which one do you think most people blame for the troubles in their own life? I, I would say, I, I hear a lot, Satan, well, Satan's doing this to me, Satan's attacking me, Satan has got all this power over me and in me and around me, and everybody is, you know, it, it, beloved, I'm going to tell you something. Some Christians, they just give too much power to Satan. They do. You know, he's all over the you know, No, he's not. He's, he's not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. Only God can be everywhere. Satan is a created being. And he's not attacking you. I don't even think he's really attacking me either. Satan is about, I mean, he gets around. But he's not everywhere. I, I believe that Satan is, you know, really just attacking those pastors that are really trying to get going, like, like possibly Jack Hibbs and, and uh, John MacArthur and, you know, those pastors that are standing out in the forefront and, and the political leaders. That's where Satan's at. Okay. Satan is not attacking me. And they, everybody blames Satan. He's not omnipresent. He's causing me to think he's not omniscient. He doesn't know your thoughts. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows your heart. He knows your pure intentions, and he knows your vile intentions. Amen. You know, well, he makes me do it. God is not, I mean, Satan is not omnipotent. Amen. Only God is all-powerful. And we attribute these attributes of God on Satan as if he was the co-equal. We got this yin and this yang that, that's co-equal, this red devil and his white devil or white angel, and, and, and they're co-equal, and they're fighting each other. No, beloved. All Satan can do is influence you, lie to you. That's all he does, and that's all it ever takes. That's a, you know, and, and Satan is standing back and says, hey, they're blaming me for that one. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> you see that stupid guy? I'll take that one too. And he's, and he's just laughing at everybody, and he's just like you're laughing at him. Amen. Beloved, some people say, well, God is testing me. Or, you know what, it's, it's what this nation is doing to me. Or what my political leaders are doing. Or, you know, and, and you know, some stuff has happened. And some stuff has happened to you. I, I believe it. Things have taken place in your life. You know, and, and there's, there's been some terrible, terrible sin, tragedy, trespasses upon your life. By a, a loved one. Possibly a, 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 a mother, a father, an uncle. You know, and, and yet... That's not what we live on. That's not how we move forward. There are troubles that are caused, and most of the problems that happen in a believer's life are caused by, on our own sin. We just stray, stray away from God. And then we blame everybody else or everything else except for ourselves. Amen. Let me share with you what Paul went through very briefly. Number one, God uses suffering in our life to reveal our spiritual condition. To reveal my spiritual condition. 
Paul says this in verse uh, 5 and 6. is on behalf of this man I will boast, but not on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. And then he says this, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Trouble is the truest test of a person's spiritual character. When adversity strikes, you'll start to see what that person is made of. It's, it's, like, it's like tea dipped into hot water. You'll see what time. It's like a tube of toothpaste. When the squeeze is on, you get to see what's inside. And, and this is, reveals, troubles reveal our spiritual condition. And Paul says, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to boast about these things because I've gone through a lot of adversities. The Lord brought intense suffering into Paul's life in part of the third person as he's writing and, and reveals his integrity for everyone to be able to see. And he establishes his own credibility by saying, look, these are the things that I've gone through. And I should have jumped ship a long time ago. But you know what? I know in whom I have believed in. And I am convinced that he is able to see me to the end. I am convinced that he can do this. This is why he writes to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He says, you, you know, just continue on. Continue going. Do not, do not think that your labor is in vain. Do not think that it's just for nothing. Because I know from first experience that God is going to work a miracle through you. And Paul, you know, as I said, he's on, on behalf of this, this man. He's not even talking about himself. He says that no one may think more of me than he sees in me. People saw him as, well, we see him as a super apostle. But Paul is telling us right now, I don't want you to see that in me. I'm not a superman. You know, as a matter of fact, we kind of got a little description of him from somebody that wrote about him 100 years after Paul. This short bull-legged man, you know, that was hunched over, had this unibrow, you know, and he talked like this, kind of, you know, like, a, I don't know. Uh, he was a funny-looking man. Yeah, yeah. First person I pictured was the penguin in Batman and Robin, the, the original Batman and Robin. You know, he was, wah, wah. <laughs> I don't, I forget who that little man was. But that's the first thing I knew. Hook nose, you know, big old giant nose is what they described him as. So he, he wasn't a very pleasant-looking individual. He wasn't an orator either, like Apollos. You know, he was kind of rough in his speech and, and of course, in his writings. And 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 so Paul says, I'm, not, I'm a nobody. I am. I just, I'm just a nobody. Jesus Christ had saved from, from all eternity. And so Paul is saying, you know, sometimes these things happen in our life to reveal your spiritual condition. That's what happened in my life. Number two, to remind me to stay humble. To yeah. remind me to stay humble. Yeah. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. You know, that's the first thing that happens with some people that, that claim to have this epiphany or this revelation or this fresh wine or whatever the a dream or you, well, you got, I got to tell everybody about this angel that I saw I got to tell everybody about what happened this dream you know of how I died and went to heaven and and, and there you go number one bestseller Paul says no man God didn't want me to share to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he says of those things that he saw a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This thorn, the word that is used, thorn, can also be used as a stake that you drive in the ground. It wasn't just this little rose thorn or this, it was this huge, massive pain on his life. And because nobody really knows, I mean, just the various types of 
interpretations that people try to interpret. Well, this is what it meant, you know. Maybe he had migraine headaches. Maybe, you know, in Galatians at the end when he's writing, he says, look at how, how big of letters I have. His eyesight was bad. I don't know if that would constitute as a huge thorn or a stake. He had rheumatoid arthritis. It goes, I mean, these are writings from way back when. Right after Paul, you know, Paul never disclosed what it was that was going on in his life. But what he did say, it, it really just tormented me. It was a messenger from Satan. It was somebody, something that God was using. God used a messenger from Satan. Now, is God evil? No. But he allowed this messenger to torment Paul. Why? Paul is being used by God not only to reveal his spiritual condition, but to keep him humble. Amen. To keep him humble. What is this hate thorn? Amen. I don't know. Some people say, well, probably it was, the, it, it was this messenger from Satan that was attacking the church. Paul had a heart for the church. His passion was about the church. He was just really stressed out about the church. He really loved that church. Do you remember when he went to Troas and he was going to go to Macedonia and a ministry opened up and he couldn't even minister because he was concerned that he sent Timothy with the first letter and, and wondering, what did they do to him? He hasn't come back. You know, it's been almost, almost three months, four months, five months. And, and so he goes to try to meet him halfway and, and there's an opportunity. He's preaching and, and some guy falls out of a third story window. Eutychus, I don't know if you remember this or not, Eutychus falls down and he dies. Paul prays over him and says, I'm out of here, man, because these people want too much of me. I got to find time. What happened to Corinth? And he writes and says, I, I, I could not. I could not minister here because I was so overwhelmed and com just, just compelled to know about what happened to Corinth. And so some people believe that it was this attack within the church that just really hurt Paul. I don't know if you've ever been hurt that bad where you can feel it in your gut, where nothing just means, seems to make sense, that you can't operate, you can't think, you can't do ministry, let alone go to work. You know, it just everything just kind of shuts down. I don't know if you've ever been that way. Now, think of a time that maybe that might have happened in your life and multiply it times 100, 1,000. Paul had a passion for this church, and whatever that thorn was, it kept him disabled. It kept him at bay. It kept him to the point of not wanting to continue on in the ministry. Sometimes God uses struggles in our life to, to reveal our spiritual condition, to remind us to stay humble and to, to keep focused on God. Number three is to help me rely on God. To help me rely on God. That's supposed to say not myself. Okay, to help me rely on God. Good, oh, you got the right one. I have in my notes... To help me rely on God and myself. Because I'm just that popular. <laughs> no. <laughs> Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it should leave me. Now the prayers that Paul would pray, he wasn't like, okay, dear Lord, please uh, bless my day today and help me get better. Amen. That, that wasn't his prayer, beloved. I believe that if Paul says, I prayed three times, I'm sure he probably prayed and fasted maybe 40 days. I don't know, three days. But he earnestly prayed three times, the Bible says. And, and faced with this demonic work at Corinth or whatever it might be happening within his life, if it's coming from demons, if it's coming from God, if it's whatever's taking place, he says, you know what, I, I'm going to, to go and I'm, I'm going to understand that God is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions, and I'm going straight to God. i got to rely on God. And you've heard this before. Sometimes at the end of all medical and rational understanding, we 
finally turn to God, when in essence that should be the first place. Paul was distressed. Paul was at a point of just losing it. But he goes to God. He says, you know, I know that I have to trust in God three times. And I'm sure he prayed more after that. But he's saying right now, three times I prayed because I know that, that God has this. He says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this torment, this whatever it was, this anxiety, whether it was pain that hindered him. Whatever kind of pain, I don't think it could amount to any more pain than what he had for the church. Number four, God uses suffering in our lives to reassure me of his grace. Because even though, even though Paul pleaded three times, the answer came like this. Very famous. You guys know this. But he said to me, my, my grace my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Hey, brother, what's going on? Nothing. You sure? Yeah, you see, you see nothing's happening. You sure? Yep, everything's good. It sure doesn't look like that. Don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. Don't, don't look good, man. It's okay. Ask Paul. Paul, what's going on? Man, am I, I, I'm praying for this church. And he just bawls out this thorn that I have in my flesh that Satan is using against me. And he just spills. Man, I, there's nothing I can do. I am at a point where I've lost all sense of reason of what to do. But you and I, you know, nothing. I'm good. Says, I got this. You know, I, I got this. Yeah, you got this, brother. You got. Go ahead and go. Don't worry about it. You know, you, you might, nope, I ain't even going to worry about it. I, you know, beloved, I, I don't know for us men, so, you know, that's kind of, what, that's why we don't ask for directions, by the way. You know, we got this. I can do this. You, you know, more men are on YouTube and trying to figure things out nowadays than anywhere else. You know, because mo most wives are on Pinterest coming out, hey, I want to get this done. Okay, you know, and I can do, I got this. I'm good at this. I can take care of this. I've got myself together here. I don't know if you remember. Well, I'm sure you do. Jesus is, is beat to a pulp. I mean, he's beyond recognition is what the Bible says. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They bashed it in with this staff that he had and, you know, and his, his lashings. I mean, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, I mean, you get the picture. And, and he falls in, in his knees. I mean, he's just all busted up on this cobblestone that he's walking yeah. on. And this, yeah. and this, whether it's a cross beam, whether it's a cross, this huge piece of wood just yeah. slides down his back. And splinters yeah. are, are just digging into the, the wounds that he already has. Yeah. And, and Jesus dehydrated, loss of blood, and, and tired up all night. You know, just, you know, he's carrying his cross. Yeah. And... There's a man standing by the, the Roman soldier says, you, get over here, carry the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, I don't even know what's going on. And he puts the cross on his back and he carries it up. The point I'm trying to make is this. Even Jesus couldn't carry his cross up the hill. Who do you think you are to say, I got this. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. Because I got this. Amen. I'm set. Beloved, we need to 
focus on our weaknesses and say, look, this is where I'm at. Now, not to the point of it debilitates you, but understand that we need the grace that is sufficient for all, all of us. And it's amazing. You know, it revealed Paul's true character, kept him humble, drew him intimately into prayer, pulled him into this grace that God has, God has for all of us. Grace describes his unmerited favor. I mean, it's just a dynamic force, totally transforming believers' lives. It, you know, it continues through sanctification, and, and it, it begins at salvation, and it goes through sanctification, and it culminates at glorification. Grace sets the Christian's faith apart from all other religions because grace is given to you. It's not earned. It's not, God gives it to you. It is a free gift of God. God is gracious, benevolent, and kind in contrast to the gods of these false religions where you have to work for it, you, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and at best, the indifferent to the constantly having to beg and to plead these other gods. The Bible teaches that we've received grace upon grace in John 1. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Paul wrote of this grace in which we stand in, in Romans 5, 2. James spoke of this grace that is greater than sin's power. Peter described the manifold, multifaceted grace of God. And Paul, no wonder, he calls it the surpassing grace in all believers and was confident that God is able to make all grace abound to all believers so that always having all sufficiency in everything that we all may have in abundance for every good deed. It is sometimes frustrating and kind of sad sometimes when people say, well, yeah, you have grace to help you through your struggles, your pains, your troubles, and your tribulations, you know, but, and as soon as that but goes up, I'm already realizing, okay, you're not looking at God's word. You might need some Christian counseling. You might need some program, a 12-step program, or you might need, you know, something other than and on top of, or you need to do other things, because God's grace is, is good, but that's for the little things. But for the deep things, we need to get deep. We need to get deep in some sort of counseling and be able to help you out of these life's, the problems that life has. I, you know, I don't know about you, beloved, but the Bible is clear that the word of God that has all the answers to life. I mean, and it's perfect and able to transform the soul. Was Paul mistaken when he wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16? And he says... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Why does the wisdom from above that James talks about when he says, need any, anything else on top of that? And he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. If believers are complete in Christ, as Colossians 2, verse 9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him then what more do we need? 
God's grace is sufficient. When Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not just come to church or not just read my Bible. Paul is saying, all things I can do. I can do everything that needs to be done. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. God knows the hearts. He knows our insights. He knows what we need before we even ask it. Is the word of God really? The word of God, is it really living? As in Hebrews 4 would say, living and active. Is it really sharper than any two-edged sword? Piercing into the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, or is it not? It either is or it's not. It is an essential tool for removing barriers to this sanctification process that we are going through. Uh, we can go on and on. The, the, we need God's grace. It's the grace of God that is sufficient for us all. It is the grace of God that is sufficient for anything and everything that we can ever think or imagine. God's grace. Number five, sometimes struggles happen in our life to release his power in my life. To release his power. For my power is made perfect in weakness, God says to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's weakness was not self-induced. It wasn't artificial. Wasn't superficial, wasn't psychological, self-esteem, a game that he played with himself. It, it was real and it was God-given. He did not love the pain caused by these people that were causing him all this pain, whether it was the false apostles or whether it was a, an actual thorn. It was a stake. It was huge. It was massive. And then he, he closes out this portion of scripture by saying, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness. You know what? If this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life, I'm just content with it. I'm good. I'm good. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. If all those things are going to be coming at me all this time, if all these people are going to be coming at me all the time, which, is, which they did. Paul continued to minister through all these hardships. We know that he was arrested. We know that he was arrested for two years. He was, first of all, in Jerusalem, then sent up to Rome. Tradition has it that he was executed. After two years in prison, he had plenty of time to write, plenty of time to minister. And finally, at the end, they beheaded him, as tradition has it. We don't have that in scripture, but we know this from outside sources. But the fact of the matter is, is Paul invested his life, and he says, it is, it is a joy. Rejoice! In prison, writing to the people in Philippi, rejoice! And again, I say, rejoice! And the guards are looking at him and saying, what, has this guy gone mad? <laughs> he's in there rejoicing, he's in chains! Rejoice. Rejoice. Problems will come. They will happen. They've been promised. They've been promised. And in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, James again gives us a very good remedy of what to do. First of all, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Number one. You see, when, when trials come, they come to draw you closer to God. And if, if you have already eliminated all the other options, and you really believe, you know what, God has just tested me at this moment. 
And it could be very well be. God is bringing you to this trial. What, what you need to do is, number one, rest. Just rest. Just rest in God. Just, you know what, God? You've got this. I don't. Uh, my weakness is, is made powerful. And you're going to use this weakness, this calamity, this adversity, whatever's going on in my life, you're going to use it for your glory. Either it's going to be for my glory or in my life, or it's going to be in the life of somebody else. Maybe you'll use this as an example for somebody else. I may be able to use this as a testimony to help people. Look, I went through the same exact thing you went through. God was bringing me through this test that I just didn't know what to do. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, James says. I don't know if you remember the day or the time when, when Peter was arrested and he was, the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers in prison, probably going to be executed. He says, well, I'm just going to take a nap. He fell asleep. He was at peace. He rested in God. And then the angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And after the light, after the angel was there, had to strike Peter on the side to wake him up. Get up. Come on, huh? What? Who turned the lights? He didn't even say that. I don't know about you, but when the lights are off and the light goes on, I'm sure the light wakes you up. I'm getting too far into that. You know, it's rest. Rest in God if you believe that he's really bringing you through these trials. You know, if you're being tempted by Satan to pull you away from God, then the Bible says resist. The Bible doesn't say cast out to fight, to beat up, to, you know. The Bible says resist. It even goes a little bit further. He says, flee. Flee from Satan. Flee from these desires. Resist the devil and he will flee. Run away from him. Don't run to him. Don't try to fight him. You know, even though he's not omniscient, omnipotent, and uh, omnis- omniscience, and well, all the other, he's not all powerful, all knowing in all places at all time. He, he's not there. Doesn't mean that you already understand him. He's a big liar. And he knows how to lie. And he knows exactly the words to use in every single individual. And he passes them on to his demons. And those that are trying to get things done, they go around and pass out these lies. Those are the fiery darts that, the, that uh, Paul talks about to the people in Ephesus, that we need to have a shield of faith because it crushes, it extinguishes those fiery darts that come from the enemy. Are those lies? Resist him in 1 Peter 5.9, Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In essence, you're not the only one. You're not the only one going through these struggles. Everybody goes through them. We all do. If somebody has offended you, and if somebody has really just messed you up, I mean, you know, at no, at no expense or at no fault of your own, and you, you know, you really don't know exactly why. Where did that come from? How did that happen? And the first thing we want is retaliation. We talked about this last week. The first thing we want to do is to retaliate, to, to get vengeance. And we talked about this last week. You need to step back and say, you know what, God, you're in control. Vengeance is yours. I just need to step back. And my, my responsibility is to release the offender. Release the trespasser. Release him. Forgive him. That's what Jesus did. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, and he'll give you the strength. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. You will never have to forgive somebody more than Jesus Christ has already forgiven you. Forgive them. You, you know, the, the hard part about forgiveness, people f- say to me, you know, this is it's going to let him go. It's going to let him get away with it. He's going to get away with what? 
You know, I'm going to be mad at that person for the rest of my life. I'm not, never going to forgive, even if it kills me. Beloved, it's going to kill you. Amen. Bitterness sets in. Resentment sets in. Anger sets in. And everything you do from that point forward is a result of what you have that's set in. As a matter of fact, uh, not only does it mess up your relationships and everything else at work and your life and, and everything, it, it also causes internal problems. Amen. Stress, high yeah. blood pressure. Yeah. Uh, it causes internal organ problems. It, yeah. it, it causes all kinds of maladies, bitterness, anger. I mean, it, it's, it's not for them. It's for you. Yeah. Just, just let it go. Release the offender. Well, I've tried. We'll do it again. But I tried, but I'll do it again. How many times? Well, how about seven times 70? Amen. Or how about a lot? How about until it doesn't hurt anymore? Amen. You do it, and you do it, and you do it until it doesn't hurt anymore. But if I forgive that person, I'm going to have to let them in. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't, don't mix up the two. Forgiveness is a must, okay? But trust is a different issue. You don't have to trust the person anymore. You don't have to let them back in your life. You don't have to allow them to continue to torment you. You forgive them. You love them. You cut them off if you have to. You try to build reconciliation, but not at the expense of what's going on in your life. Number four, when in sin, if it's the problems that you've caused in yourself because of sin, because of disobedience, then the Bible says just repent. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just repent. Remember, therefore... Paul tells the people, excuse me, Jesus tells the, the church in Ephesus, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent. God, I'm sorry, I messed up, and these events that are taking place because of what's going on in my life are because of my choice, my, my doing. Please forgive me. Well, God forgives you. He'll forgive you. Please, you got to understand the consequences. They're going to be there. If a person commits murder, gets caught, asks for forgiveness, asks the family to forgive him, the family forgives him, God forgives him, there's still consequences. Man. Lifetime in jail. Man. Or even his own life will be demanded of him. Man. But I, for, <laughs> I ask for forgiveness. Yeah, there's consequences. Man. If you commit adultery, you can ask for forgiveness. That's consequences. If a child decides to run off and, you know, and, and do what they want to do and they come back, you know, it, you, there's forgiveness. But, you know, there's consequences. Man. And the two, have to, we have to understand, okay, I forgive you. And I'll help you through the consequences. We can work through the consequences. We can, we can come to some sort of healing process because of the consequences. But you're still going to be there. And I repent. Paul had gone through some heavy stuff. And, and it took us some time to get through it because Paul was showing us on what it is that happens in a person's life when bad things happen. And they're going to happen to everybody. And, and don't make the mistake that most people make. Well, how come bad things happen to good people? You know, I'm a good person, aren't I? We're not. Bad things happen to everyone. But good things happen to us bad people as well. God just blesses us when we're so close to him, when we've come to a place to, to really just to, to reveal our spiritual condition and, and to be reminded to be humble and, and to, to rely on God's word for everything and, and just to, to bask in his grace and understand his grace on how deep that grace is, how multifaceted. And when we release his power in our weaknesses, God says, I can bless you. I can bless that. And I can work with that. 
And as we continue on with Paul, he's going to talk about the church next week, and we're going to finish up the following week with uh, the final warnings. That what Paul is doing is he's showing us the way of life and how to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our modern-day time. And, and, and theology doesn't have to be boring. Theology doesn't have to be dry. It has to be practical to live life. Because whatever type of theology you have, it's like the glasses you put on and you look at the world through what you believe on what God's word says. God's word is the lenses from which I see the world. It's the foundation of my life. And everything I believe and everything I do comes based upon what I believe of God's word. And we're going to continue to learn that here. Let me ask you to stand. I don't know, for those of you that are listening online or here, on what type of struggles you're going through, but I, but I know that God knows. I, I know that he has a firm grip on all history, including yours. He has a firm grip on this, on this world. All the power that is his is available to us, to each one of you. And what he's doing through your life, please, please, don't, don't think that God is mad at you or that he hates you or that he's lost interest in you. He's not doing that. He's doing something greater that's beyond you. It's beyond me. It's beyond all of us. And whatever God is doing in this world, in our nation, through this election, through all the stuff that we're going through in life, whether it's through a health issue or whatever, God is at work in your life. Trust that, rest in that, and trust in his word. Father in heaven, thank you once again for just giving us this opportunity to be able to look at your word and, and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ within our own life. We know that this Reformed theology is for practical living, and we want to apply it to our life, every, not just to learn about it, not just, not just to be informed, but to be transformed. And I thank you, Father, on how you are transforming each and every individual that has come in contact with your word. Your grace is sufficient for us more than anything we can ever think or imagine. So I thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity in this time. I pray now that you dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence. Amen. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen, amen. and Amen. <laughs>